Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians, and it's going to sound strange, chapter 6. <laughs> we hadn't heard that before. Galatians chapter 6. We finally made it. Somebody reminded me that we started all of this in February. Can you believe that? Last February. I think we've set a record. I, this is sort of the fastest I've ever done a book. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, let me get you into the flow. Why do I do that? Because we're in a river, a current of a book. They didn't have chapters and verses. It's not chapter 6 when Paul wrote it. That's the way it's put down for us to better understand it. It was just a flow. And if you don't get in the current, then you don't understand what he's saying. All of this hooks together. Let me do that for you. Having seen the contrast between the relationships that are ruined by the flesh, and all of us have been there. Whenever you choose your way instead of God's way, it's going to ruin some relationship. It is not in any way going to enhance it. But when we see that contrasted to the relationships that are affected by the Holy Spirit of God living His life in us. Now, that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And the love of God's Spirit that flows out of us, then it becomes very easy to understand why it's so important for each of us, every one of us, to walk by the Spirit, verse 16, chapter 5, and to be led by the Spirit, verse 18 of chapter 5. Because that's the only time our relationships are going to be what God wants them to be. That's the only time there's any joy, and there's any peace, and there's any patience, and there's any kindness, and there's any goodness. That's the only time these things happen is when we walk by the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, Christ produces His love in and through us. And that's what touches other people in the restaurant, in the store, wherever we are. People don't see us. They're not touched by us. They're touched by Christ who lives in us. Everywhere we go, Jesus is passing their way. And it's an awesome thing. That's what Christianity is all about. Now, in this agape love that we're looking at or have looked at in verse 22 of chapter 5 and verse 23, it's Christ's love in us. This is the first time when He produces that love in us for other people. That's the first time and the only time that we can even discern what a person's need really is. We're living in a day when people think they know what they need, but they do not. Only the Spirit of God knows what we truly need. There's a difference between felt needs and true needs, and only the Spirit of God can give us that discernment. But with that discernment also comes the resolve, which is what agape love is, to meet that need, whatever God has revealed, no matter what it costs any of us. And He immediately fills us with His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His faith, His gentleness, and His self-control as we experience God's love working in us. That's a, that's a powerful thought. This is Christianity. This is what separates Christianity from religion. God living in us, producing His character through us. We can live in this love only if we're believers. Now, if you're not here, this, if you're here this morning, if you're not here, if you're here this morning, <laughs> that'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it? If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, you've never experienced His love, then you cannot understand what we're talking about until you come to know Him. 
My prayer always is that somebody in one of these services could understand the difference of religion and realize he doesn't have Christ living in his heart and receive Jesus into his heart. Only believers can experience this. It's Christ living in them. But only the believers who are walking by the Spirit can experience this. Oh, yes, if you don't walk by the Spirit, you will experience His love. But it'll be that love that chastens and disciplines and scourges, that Hebrews says, He scourges those whom He loves. You'll experience His love, but not in the way we're talking about. What we're talking about is letting Jesus just be Jesus in you. Our choice to say yes to Christ. And this is the most beautiful thing that Galatians, I think, brings out. Immediately crucifies the flesh. In other words, by saying yes to God, we have just said no to our flesh. We have made it lie dormant. It cannot hurt us in any way. It cannot divide our relationships. It cannot do a thing. It can only enhance them when the Holy Spirit of God lives in our life. The flesh is left in its position of dead, deadness. The problem is the flesh, if it cannot get us to sin outright, will deceive us in, back into a performance mentality. This is where the Christians falter. The sincere Christians falter right here. When they think they can do something other than saying yes to Christ and letting Jesus do something through them. That's that performance mentality. That's what happened to the Galatians. And all of us have fallen in this trap from time to time. And it's then that we realize that the signal of that fact that we're not living and walking correctly as believers is in the broken relationships that we have with other people. When all that animosity builds up within us, when all that anger and wrath and all the other kind of garbage that we looked at in 19 through 21 begin to well up inside of us, that's when we know that we're not walking by the Spirit of God. Now listen, if believers fight, whether it's in your family, whether it's in the church or wherever, if believers fight, nobody wins. Everybody loses. I don't know if you've been able to come with us on Wednesday nights, but we've been studying the book of Judges for quite a while also. <laughs> And we've been looking at the characters there, and it's like almost like a topical study because it's rather different than it is in the New Testament in the, in the epistles. It's more narrative. And this past Wednesday night, we studied about a, a particular tribe within the 12 tribes of Israel by the name of the Ephraimites. The Ephraim and Manasseh were brothers. Ephraim was the youngest, but here's old granddaddy Jacob, whose same thing happened to him. He gave the blessing to that younger one instead of the older one, who's Manasseh. And Ephraim became very arrogant and, and very contentious in the 12 tribes of Israel. So the Ephraimites were always causing problems in the people of God. Gideon had to deal with them, but Gideon had enough sense to know that you don't fight each other. And so therefore he, he was willing to deal with them with sensitivity and humility, and he calmed their anger down, and, and it was no bloodshed. But Jephthah, the one we studied this past week, Jephthah was different. <laughs> Jephthah was an illegitimate child. He was a man of valor. He was, he was a mighty warrior. He was no sissy. And the Ephraimites did to him what they did to Gideon. And, and when they did it to him, he didn't handle it correctly. In fact, he killed 42,000 of the Ephraimites, which was Israel. I mean, if it had been the Ammonites or the Amorites or the Termites or somebody else, that would have been one thing. But he didn't, he, this, this was not the enemy. This was his own people. All of Israel lost when he blew it and handled it 
the wrong way. That's what the flesh does. It always, it, 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 it shoots the, old, the, the very wounded in the body of Christ. But the, the Spirit of God produces a love that draws people together, even those that are intolerable and people that are unlovable. It, but if, if we ever fight, it's a foolish thing. And so Paul is telling the Galatians this truth. You don't want to go that route that you've been going. You want to go this route. You won't let Jesus be Jesus in your life. And it's with this thought that we enter chapter 6. See, that's the current of the river that's carrying us right into where we are today. Paul is going to show us what Christ's love looks like when we're allowing him to be who he is within us. He wants to, us to see the sensitivity that God's going to give us to other people. Paul begins with the problem that his whole epistle has been addressing. There's sin in the camp. All the southern churches of Galatia had bought into false doctrine, which is sin when you err and you depart from truth. The Galatians had fallen in the trap of sin. But here's, the, here's what Paul wants them to see. How do you deal with a brother who has fallen into the trap of sin, whether it be religious sin, whether it be religious, uh, rebellious sin, it doesn't matter. How do you deal with a brother? How does the Holy Spirit of God look like in you towards others that have been found out to be in sin? How does that happen? How does a believer walking by the Spirit deal with another's sin? Now, this is so important to me that I'm only going to do, do one message on this first verse. I mean, I'm not going to go any further than verse 1. And I'm not going to do that with every verse. But I think this is so key. It's so amazing to me that Paul starts here. He could have started in many places, but he didn't. He started when a brother is in sin. And he wants them to understand the beauty of how God sensitizes you towards a brother that's fallen and erred in sin. Verse 1, there are three things I want you to see in this passage. First of all, Paul illustrates the problem. He illustrates the problem. He says, brethren, if a man, even if a man is caught in any trespass, even if a man is caught in any trespass. Now, the even if, the word if there is the word ion, ion. It means it's something that it's a situation that could happen and probably will. Uh, the Galatians have already fallen into sin, and I think what Paul is saying here is this is probably not going to be the first time. Now, when they do and when you do, how do you handle somebody who has fallen into sin? Even if a man is caught, is caught. Now, the word caught is the word prolumbano, prolumbano. It comes from two Greek words, pro before lumbano, to take or to overtake to overtake with surprise. Now, there are really two thoughts here, and the translations bring out both thoughts, and you have to look at both of them. They're very valid. They do not contradict in any way. The first thought is seen in the King James Version, the New King James Version, the Young's Translation, and others. It's the thought that a person has been surprised by the fact that sin has overtaken him. Uh, in these translations, that word prolumbano, is translated as overtaken. If a man is overtaken, and they translate it by a fault. Now, these translations view the verb prolumbano as a, a sin that has snuck up on somebody and overtaken them, is the idea. And you can see their point. You see, before we became a believer, we chased after sin. Do you remember those days? How many of you here, before you became a believer, chased after sin? <laughs> Some of you will be honest with me this morning. What's the middle letter of the word sin? 
I, I rest my case. You see, before we became believers, we lived for ourselves. We chased after what ourselves, what pleased ourselves. We chased after sin. But once you become a believer, you don't chase after sin anymore. You pursue Christ. However, sin chases after you and sometimes overtakes you. And that's the thought that comes out in some of these translations. The verb is in the aorist passive voice. Aorist tense meaning at an occurrence, an event. And passive voice indicating that something happened to the person. At a certain time, he was overtaken by the sin. Now, Paul has already warned the Galatians of sin before they became a believer. And then he had to warn them again after they become a believer. So we see how sin is still a problem to a believer, but it's a little different focus. A believer doesn't focus, doesn't chase after it. It chases after him. But the other truth, and that's one truth that's absolutely here, but the other truth is found in the New American Standard translation. And I, I love it. And that is that not only has he been overtaken by a sin and he's fallen into its trap, but the other truth is that he's been caught in his sin by somebody. And that's what New American Standard translation says. Even if a man is caught in any trespass. You see, the little phrase, even if, introduces what they call an exceptional clause. And that exception to this clause is, and why they translate even if, is that he, this man has been caught. Not only has he been overtaken, but this man has been caught in a sin. Brethren, if, if a man is caught in any trespass, unless a person is caught, <laughs> then there'd be no reason to go and restore him, which is the last part of the verse. I mean, that's, that supports itself. It, it, you have to know about his sin if you're ever going to restore him. That's what he says in the last part of the verse. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So both truths are in play here. First of all, a man's been overtaken into a sin. He's fallen into its trap. But secondly, somebody has caught him in that sin. Now, this act of sin that a believer had been caught in would no doubt enrage believers who are not living surrendered to Christ. This is, this is a hard fact of life. Uh, you can just hear them now. How could he do that? I can't believe that happened. Why, I would never do that myself. Now, this is, this is how <laughs> ridiculous we get sometimes. We forget that the flesh, my flesh is just as wicked as anybody else's. And we better be real careful when we say we wouldn't do anything. But you see, people that don't walk by the Spirit, they're repulsed by that sin to the point that they will not love that individual. They want to get him out rather than love him in. Only the Holy Spirit can produce the kind of love that would actually be sensitive to the needs of one who has been caught in sin. It is supernatural to be sensitive to someone when you know that he has sinned. It's supernatural. This is not a natural tendency. This is that love of Christ being manifest in our lives. Flesh condemns and wants to carry out the sentence, but the Spirit seeks to restore. Now, it appears to me that Paul is anticipating the wrong reaction by many of these people. And this would explain what he says in the last part of the verse. He says, you who are spiritual. He, he, he automatically draws a line right there. You who are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You see, only the sin of somebody, a brother in Christ, can only be responded to in the sensitivity that Christ's love produces in our life. If that love is not there, 
it, we will be insensitive. We will be calloused. We'll be hard when a brother has fallen into sin. Brethren, even if a man is caught, and then he says, in any trespass. Now, what is a trespass? The word trespass is the word paraptoma, paraptoma. It means to fall alongside, para, alongside, peepto, to stumble or to fall, to fall alongside. In fact, it's a very general word for sin. It carries more of the idea, yes, of sin. It is sin, but it's not so much the premeditated kind. It, it's, it's something that a person was deceived into or he didn't set out to do this. The Galatians didn't set out to have these things happen that chapter 5, 19 through 21 told us about. They didn't set out that way. They simply erred from the truth. They strayed from the truth, and now they're living in this sin. This is not the harsh word for sin that is used in other places, hamartia. It's not that same word. In Galatians, it makes perfect sense uh, for that reason. They, they, this really, you have to understand that, that they didn't set out to be bad people. They just simply chose something rather than letting Jesus be Jesus in them. The origin of sin in a believer's life always will be when he errs in judgment and when he departs from truth. This causes us to be overtaken by sin. And sometimes we get caught in it. And the Apostle Paul is that brother dealing with them in their sin. And now he's telling them how to deal with one another. You know, when I was growing up, I always got caught in everything I did. I'm serious. I could do anything I did. I don't know how in the world I got caught every single time. And the idea, this, this is the whole idea Paul's bringing out. I went fishing one time with, a, with two young fellows in my youth group when I was in college. I was working in a church. I had my fishing license. One of them did not have his but didn't need it. He was 15 years old. One of them didn't have his but needed it but just refused to buy it. He was 16. 16 years old, you had to have a license. Well, we go to the place on the James River. One of my friends had caught a seven-pound smallmouth out of that river, and we said, we're going to see if we can try our luck there. So when we got there, we parked on the highway. It was about 100 yards of this simple field there that we had to cross a fence, go across the field, cross the next fence, and there's the river. Well, we got over there, did not realize we had just walked across property that said no trespassing. There was no signs where we parked. We didn't see that. So they, they called the game warden. And uh, I had warned this one fellow named Bill. I said, Bill, you have to have a license to stop and get it. Oh, they'll never check me. We've well, never been checked. You know how that goes. Well, all of a sudden, I look up, and I see the guy with the green shirt on, the green trousers, and I know exactly who it is. It's a game warden. He comes over, steps across the fence, says, guys, y'all realize y'all walked across uh, posted land? And I said, no, sir, I do not. I did not realize that. I'm responsible, and I, I take all the, the blame, but I, I didn't realize that. He said, well, people do it all the time. I'll let you go. Just, just understand that he showed us where the boundaries were, and they didn't. He said, you're right. They didn't have the signs where they should have had them. Well, anyway, he said, well, I'm here. Let me check your license. Well, one of our guys, a 15-year-old, was already out in the river, and uh, he's, that, he's that fellow that Proverbs talks about that the wicked flee when no one pursues. He saw that badge. He saw that badge on that green shirt, and he just kept on going down the river. It took us 30 minutes to find him. He scared to death. He had done something wrong. He hadn't done anything wrong. I guess it was just a guilty conscience. But the other fellow, Bill, was standing there with me. Well, I showed him my license, <laughs> and he looked at Bill and he said, Sir, can I see yours? And Bill said, Well, I'm only 15 years old. Lied like a dog. And I'm thinking, Now, how's he going? And he said, I'm only 15 years old. And that ranger said, Well, you know what? He said, uh, you look a lot older than that. He said, how old will you be your next birthday? He said, 17. <laughs> I, I, tell, 
I tell that story because that's exactly the way I was growing up. I couldn't lie. I couldn't do it. I'd always hang myself in the midst of it. Well, what Paul's talking about is these Galatians, they sinned, but I guess they weren't good enough at covering it up, and now they're caught. Now they're caught. That's the problem. He illustrates the problem. Now, what do you do? Now what? Now that you've caught your brother in a sin, now what do you do? What, the second thing he does here, he describes the procedure. He describes the procedure. What procedure do we follow when a fellow believer has been caught in a sin? Not, a, not just overtaken, but caught. What's the responsibility of one who has caught his brother? Well, brethren, he says in verse 1, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, he says, you who are spiritual. Now, he's talking to a particular group in that, that, that people that he's writing to. It's not one church. It's several churches. But he's singling out several ones that walk side by side with those who are not walking in the Spirit. And it, the word for spiritual there is pneumatikos. According to Dr. Spiros Zoviati's Word Study Dictionary, he, he says about this word, it, it's some a believer who is enjoying the influences, the graces, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, in other words, in our context of Galatians 5 and 6, it's somebody walking by the Spirit. It's somebody that the Spirit of God is producing His love within them. That's who He's talking to. He's not talking to the people that care less. He says, no, sir, I'm only talking to one certain group of people here, those people who are walking by the Spirit, those people who are like that glass that we've talked about how many times that have had the bottom knocked out and the glass has been put into the river and the river is flowing through them, which is what being filled with the Spirit is all about. Jesus is the river. We sung about it a while ago. And He's the river. He's the life that flows through us. Only a believer who has been filled by the Spirit has the sensitivity to another believer who has sinned because it's Christ in him that needs to respond, not the individual, but Christ in him. And I want to say this, and, and just to caution you in your walk with Christ, remember that there are two groups of people in every body of believers, no matter where you are. They were in Galatia, they are in Albuquerque. You have people that don't give God time of day. They do not walk by the Spirit, yet they'll show up. But then you have the people that are walking by the Spirit of God. Woe when a person is ever caught in a sin by an individual who refuses to walk by the Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you something. They will ruin your reputation, and they will ruin your life. You know why? Because they are devoid of the sensitivity of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He treats others, you see. So Paul's not talking to the people that are fleshly-minded. He's only talking to the spiritual ones, those who are walking by the Spirit, those who are being led by the Spirit of God. Now look what he says. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you others, don't you touch it. You have no business in this matter. Get your own life right first. I'm talking to the spiritual one. He says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now that word restore is a beautiful word, katartizo. It means to put it back in its proper position. I love that. Kata. It means with, and then artizo, to adjust or to finish. It's, to, um, it's, it's, it's a word used in the secular world of a doctor who's resetting a bone. A bone's been broken, and it's not there. He takes it and puts that bone back to where it can mend and where it can heal and where it can be usable again. 
The word restore is in the present imperative tense. Present tense means it's an ongoing process. You know, it doesn't mean to walk up to somebody. I hear this all the time. I'm going to tell you the truth in love. You know, and really what they mean is I'm going to drop a grenade in your lap and I'll see you later. You know, they justify themselves. Those people who walk after the flesh, that's how they justify themselves. But by the present tense, he's talking about the fact you restore and continue to restore. It's a process here. It's a process. Restoring a brother who's fallen in the trap of sin is not just going and telling him about it. It's more to it than that. It involves a a responsibility to stay with him until he gets back on his feet. It's like that elk hunter. (laughs) And he's out there on a rock. And he's, he's got his sights and all that crosshairs right on that big old herd bull. And it's a seven by seven. He'll score, oh, he might even push 400. It's going to be in the record books. And he's just about to pull the trigger. And the guy that's with him taps him on the shoulder. And he looks at him and says, what? He said, now remember, before you pull that trigger, it's five miles back to camp. <laughs> now, some of y'all didn't laugh at all because you don't have a life. You don't understand what I'm talking about. You kill a 1,200-pound animal, guess who's going to carry it back five miles to camp? If you're going to pull a trigger, understand it's a responsibility that goes with pulling that trigger. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to go to somebody and tell them about their sin, make sure you've already resolved with God. You're going to stay with them until you get that person back on his feet because that is the sensitivity and the resolve that God's love produces in an individual who's walking by the Spirit. There's a responsibility that goes with it. Well, the word doesn't mean to kick the person out of the church. It doesn't mean to destroy the person by telling everybody else. There's another scripture that says that love covers. And Brother Spiros and I were studying that one day, and he said, Wayne, it means it builds a house over, a roof over. In other words, when you find out about a brother's sin, you tell nobody. You go to God and you go to him, and you keep it underneath that roof. You see, we're going to have church discipline somewhere down the road when we have our elders. And I want you to understand it's restoration, not discipline. That word discipline has too many bad connotations to it in our culture. We think about it as kicking the guy out. That is not it at all. If you ever see church discipline practice at Hoffmantown, it's going to be to restore somebody. It's going to be to help somebody. It's going to be to try to help get somebody's attention that he's making a mockery of what we call and understand Christianity to be. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But the word restore refers to that which may be painful at first. It's not only a process, but it's painful at first. Sometimes it's painful for a while. Uh, let's just meditate on that for a second. You've just broken your arm, and you go to the doctor. Guess what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to hurt you in order for you to heal. And so the pain is automatically implied. I know when Stephen had his orthostopic scourge, surgery, scourge, surgery on his ankle, and they went in, and I remember the, he just thought that was going to be a piece of cake. Of course, I knew he was going to ride that for everything it was worth. I mean, you know, he going to get all the attention out of that he could. But, but, you know, he didn't understand the pain that was going to go with that. And I, that old boy was in a lot of pain for quite a while before that pain finally, the, 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 the injured place in his body began to heal. So the, the, the very term restoring a brother, restoration, has implied within it there's pain. There's going to be some pain to it. The act of restoring someone is very painful. Years ago, I had ulcers. Can you imagine me with ulcers? But I had them. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that I felt like somebody had driven a knife through my back at night, and I couldn't understand what was going on. 
They also threw in, just for no price at all, no cost at all, was the fact that I had gallstones, but I didn't even ask for that, you know. But the doctor found these ulcers. I remember going to that uh, examination room and <laughs> so embarrassing and humiliating what happens to you. You put these little gowns on that are supposed to come to your ankles. <sighs> they look like a miniskirt on me. And they had to put two of them on me to cover my whole body. And I go in there and these, this, this nurse comes in and she's a member of my church. They start going over your stomach, and they keep stopping at this certain spot. And I keep asking them, what's, what's right there? <laughs> and they don't tell me. But then a little later on, I went in and talked to the doctor, and he said, you've got ulcers, Wayne. And I said, well, wh what causes that? He said, well, it, it's not bacterial. That can, be, that can be caused by that. He said, it's not what you've been eating. And I said, well, what is it? He said, evidently, Wayne, it's what's eating you. Oh, and he said, you know, Wayne, who's a Christian, he said, I, I'm a Christian. I hear you speak about the victory we have in Jesus from week to week. And he said, Wayne, I just want to say something to you. Your brother is a Christian brother. I'm going to hurt you. And I thought, well, here we go. He said, in a spiritual way, he said, Wayne, why don't you start living what you've been preaching? Do you think that hurt? Oh, yeah, that hurt. But you see what that did, it lanced the boil, and then the healing could start taking place in my life. And he became a friend that became accountable to me for quite a while to make sure we got back to where we're living what we're preaching. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. He loved me enough not just to tell me, oh, no, but to stay with me all the way through the process. You see, when we're filled with the Spirit of Christ, we have a sensitivity to others. Nobody can explain this because most of the time they're, very they're the very people that are unloving, they're they're intolerant. They're, they're difficult people to start with. But God gives us that sensitivity to love them beyond them, in spite of them. The Christ in us gives us also the resiliency to endure the pain with them because they're going to go through some painful times. And then the joy one day of watching them come back and be able to stand on their feet once again. But it's all about rest restoration, restoration. I remember a man that we never had to bring anybody before the church. The four steps in Matthew 18, there's only two that come public. We never had to bring but four people. As I remember, in all the years I was at Woodland Park in church discipline. In fact, the first time I ever mentioned we were going to discipline somebody, we never mentioned the name, and we never called their sin ever in public. But I remember when I first mentioned it, the young people were sitting off to my right. <laughs> Stephen was in the youth group at that time, and he was sitting back there, about 175 of them, sitting over there. And he said, when I said somebody's going to be disciplined this next week, every, every one of the young people turned to each other and said, oh, no, they found out. They found out. They found out. <laughs> we weren't even talking about it. <laughs> it did a beautiful thing. Raised the standard real quick. <laughs> but we would send a registered letter to the person. They had to sign for it before he ever got it. I mean, before, before he ever went to church discipline, he had to get it and read it. And what that letter said was, we do not want to do this third step. Will you please, we beg of you, meet with us. When we, we, we erred on the side of grace every single time. And, and usually that was what got their attention when they realized the seriousness of what they had done, that it affected the whole body of Christ that come and claimed to be Christians. And I remember one time this one man got that letter, and it just wiped him out. He'd been having an affair with another woman, had even moved away from his wife. And he was just absolutely adamant that he was not doing anything sinful in God's sight. Well, 
that letter came, and he said, Wayne, it hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, for the first time, I saw the seriousness of my sin. Before, I thought I could get away with it and never bother anybody. But he said, I saw the seriousness of my sin. And he said, I went and asked my wife to forgive me. I broke it off with this other person. I've gone to everybody I know to go to. And he said, you don't know this, but he said, I just, I just need, I need so much now to share this with the body of Christ. He came one Sunday night and told me this on the platform. And you know, when people come and say, I want to give a witness or I'll share a testimony, I check them out. I've learned. I've been around and done that. Because a lot of times what they're about to share, you don't want everybody to hear. And I asked him, I said, what is it you want to share? And he said, I want to ask the people just to forgive me because I'm so, I'm so ashamed. And I said, yes, sir, you can share that. And it came the appropriate time, and I let him come up to the pulpit. And he tried to open his, he opened his mouth and just immediately began to falter. And, and he, he just began to weep and sob. And he said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And he asked the people to forgive him. His precious wife was sitting right down here to the left, and she has to go through the heaviest load and, uh, of all this. And boy, it was awesome. I said, I said, folks, listen, he's as clean right now as any of the rest of us in here. He's already been washed by the blood, and the blood has just cleansed him. Now, we need to encourage him as a brother because we're going to have to help him get back on his feet. Well, I said, all you men, come down and get around him. And I bring a verse with you. Every one of you, get out here. Man, we had, I don't know, if you can't get to him, lean on the guy in front of you. Man, they just came down and hovered over him and began to pray with him and share Scripture with him. And I said to the precious little wife, and I looked at her, and I said, I know what you're going to have to go through now, rebuilding that trust bond. And I said, well, I said, ladies, come down and get around her and, and share the word with her and encourage her. And I turned to the choir, and I said, just sing something you think is appropriate. And I could have kissed every one of them on the lips. I mean, it was awesome what they did. They began to sing that song, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. And the last little line of that is, that washes white as snow. And that's one of the, that's the closest thing that I've experienced to real revival since I've been in the ministry and I'm 60 years old. When I saw people, nobody was judging anybody. Everybody was rejoicing that a brother had been restored, and everybody was praying for one another. And the love that was in that church, you could have, you, it was so thick you could have cut it with a knife that night. That's what we're talking about. That's the sensitivity God puts within believers when they see a brother who's been overtaken and yet been caught in the act of sin. This is how they treat them. They don't kick them out. They love them. They seek to restore them. It's all about restoration. You that are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The word spirit there is the word for attitude. It's a little s, spirit of gentleness. However, it indirectly speaks right back of the Holy Spirit that produces that very gentleness. Because the word used there for gentleness in verse 1 is the same word used in verse 23 of chapter 5 as the fruit of God's Spirit. And so it's the word proetus. It's the word that refers to the brokenness that you approach a person with. Brokenness, it's used in a secular sense of a, of a horse that's full of power that has now surrendered his power to his master. And here's a person that comes in that meek spirit, understanding what they're not apart from God. It's a humble word. It's a beautiful word. It speaks of the character of Christ. Now get the picture. Stephen, my son's a, a Georgia football fan, 
I've been praying for him for years. For some reason, I just can't get him to repent. But the guy that announces all the Georgia football games, he gets on the air, and he's on radio, so you can't see it. So he's trying to draw a picture. He says, now, let's get the picture. Let's get the picture. Of course, got that Georgia draw. Now, let's get the picture. Let's get the picture. And he'll go back and rehearse everything for you. Well, let's get the picture, <laughs> what Paul's doing right here. Unless you're allowing Christ to live through your life, which is the same thing as being filled with the Spirit, which is the same thing as a glass having the bottom knocked out, stuck in the river, letting the river flow through it. Now listen to me. Then you have no business dealing with a brother that you found out is in sin. You have no business touching it. Don't get near him. Because you see, number one, you're already living after the flesh, so you're no better off than your brother. So he's not talking to the people that won't get right with God. Don't, have, don't say a word. Don't say a word. Because if you point a finger, there's three more pointing right back at you. But to those that are spiritual, if you're allowing the Spirit to produce His love in your life, and He's giving you the discernment to the need and the resolve to meet that need, then He's talking to you. And what He says is, Christ will empower you to come alongside and to help a brother be restored to where he can be effective again. For those who are living surrendered lives when we're caught in our sin, I tell you, that's wonderful. I pray that if I ever get do something stupid, I pray that it'll be people that love the Lord that'll come around me. You, I'm telling you, you don't want the ones that aren't walking that way. We need Christ's gentleness towards us. Okay, so Paul illustrates the problem, and then the final thing he does, well, secondly, he describes a procedure, but then finally, he warns of a possibility. There's a warning that comes in here. He warns of a possibility. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, here, here comes the warning. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, here we go. The one, each one there refers to the each one that are spiritual, because that's who he's talking to, to those who are allowing Christ to live in and through him, to those that are sensing that they need to spend some time with a brother and how long it takes Nobody knows, but they're willing to get him back on his feet. He says, looking to yourselves. And that word looking there is the word scopio, scopio. Keep one's eye upon. You know, I'm a bass fisherman, and I'm trying to learn to be a trout fisherman. For those of you that fish for trout, I have more respect for you now than I've ever had in my life. Now, when you bass fish and that thing hits, you jerk with a jerk it's going to just, I mean, take his teeth out because they're tough fish. Buddy, when they hit, you better be on the strike. And you bring him in. I've discovered something. That's not exactly the way you do a trout, is there? <laughs> oh, y'all hadn't been fishing either. But I, I'll tell you, some of y'all just need a life. That's all I can say. But when you're fishing for trout, you don't jerk. If you jerk, the fish is either going to be 30 foot up in a tree or you've just broken that little two-pound test leader that you've got on there. You don't do it that way. You use your wrist. That's all you use is your wrist. And I'm trying to learn that. I love one way to fish out here with the nymph. I love that. Got that little strike indicator on it. That's a cheater. As some people call it. I love it. We, we call them bobbers back in the south. <laughs> you throw that thing out in that little cheater. It's got a nymph that's underneath the water. And that thing just, just moves a little bit. And you just go, and you got it. You got it. Um, but dry fly fishing is something I, have, I don't know if I'll ever learn. First of all, 
They're so little. Have you ever seen the flies that they use out here? I mean, only people 20 years old and younger can even see the holes in the thing there. No wonder they have these huge magnifying glasses you pull down in front of your glasses to see them. I mean, like, where is it? where's the thing? Tied and owns bad enough. But not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the hard part. The hard part is when you throw it out in that, in that stuff, out in the foam, out on the stream where you want to make sure you throw it to because that's where all the goody stuff is floating down the river. How do you see it? And trying to watch, keep your eye upon. Scopio, that's the word he's using here. Don't take your eye off of it. Do what? Up, oh, up. Oh, you missed it. You've got to stay right with that fly that whole time. That's why I love to fish, because you can't think about anything else. It's wonderful. It just washes your mind out. I mean, if you don't think on that fly, you're dead in the water. No pun intended. But uh, <laughs> you just follow that fly all the way down. Well, that's the word that he uses here. And so what he says is, you keep your eye on something. If you're going to go restore this, brother, you better keep your eye right on something. And what is it? He says, looking to yourself. You better watch out, because your flesh it is just as susceptible to sin as this brother's is that you're trying to restore. That word skopos is used in Philippians 3.14, and it's translated as goal. And it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And a runner never runs looking back. If you're looking back, you just lost the race. You have to run keeping your eyes on the goal that you're trying to attain. And that's that word that he uses. He says, guys, you're vulnerable. Even you that are spiritual, you're vulnerable. And it's that quick that you can fall in the same temptation that this man has fallen into. So he says, keep your eye upon yourself, lest you too be tempted. And that's passive voice. Not that you go into it thinking that's going to happen, but that temptation doesn't come upon you. And the word for tempted is the word pirosmos. To be put into a situation that's so delicate that you have to make a choice. And he says, you better be careful when you put yourself into that situation because most of the time, if you're not looking to yourself, you might get your eye on that sin and as a result of it, end up falling to that very sin. Be very, very careful. You know, I don't know whether it's my imagination or not. This is why I love to preach, by the way, book by book and verse by verse. You know why? Because it's not topical. Topical to me forces you so many times to take the text and make it say what you're trying to say rather than let the text say what it says. But I don't know how many people I've noticed that's been preaching against immorality and preaching against this, and that's all they ever preach against are the very ones falling to that sin. I don't know how many I could name uh, to you that have preached against certain things like that have fallen right to it. It's like those, and what Paul says is, man, if you're going to, if you see a brother caught in a sin, first of all, thank God that's not you because only by the grace of God you'd be right in his shoes. Now, secondly, if you're going to go meet that person's need, you that are spiritual, rest of you, sit over here and be quiet. He says, if you're going to meet that need, you be careful. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. It's like that sign that says, approach it with caution, with caution, because there's fire in here and you may end up getting burned yourself. We do have responsibility to one another, but only when we're living filled with God's Spirit can we ever see that responsibility carried out. So Paul illustrates the problem. He describes a procedure. He warns of a possibility. And there are two true truths I'd like to leave you with today. They're side by side. One of them is if you're not walking by the Spirit, then I would encourage you to get your life to where you actually can be usable to God to reach out and touch another brother who's not walking that way. 
But if you are walking by the Spirit, may I just simply say, you are so desperately needed in the body of Christ because only you that are walking by the Spirit can cause the unity of the body to come back together. And so Paul speaks to a dysfunctional church, several churches, the whole southern Galatia. And he says to them, you're walking this way. This is the way you're supposed to walk. Now, those of you who are truly walking this way, I have something to say to you about a brother who has fallen into sin. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.